What is good, everyone? This is your host, Deanna Radulescu with Label Free. To live your best life, you must live label free. Today, I've got a very special guest joining us. He His story is very unique, so sit back, relax, and tune in. He has battled two bouts of homelessness. He is a former PhD student and is now a published author of his very first poetry collection. Please welcome Damien White. Damien, welcome to the show. Thank you. I'm super excited to be here. I'm grateful to be able to share my story with your listeners and you. So thank you for having me. Oh, we are super pumped to learn a little bit more about you and hear how you pulled yourself out of a very serious situation for, for most. And I think a lot of people that end up in that situation have a very hard time coming out of being homeless. I know that you were a PhD student that ended up on the streets of San Francisco. So could you tell us the events that happened to get you to to that point where you became homeless? Absolutely. So after um, I left my grad program, I decided that, you know, I had looked into the future and I was thinking about what my life was going to look like. And I was around professors. So I always tell this story, like if you used to watch House, yeah. you saw like how Dr. House would go into the room and he'd do his surgery and he'd go out and get his coffee and say something snarky. And you kind of see the glamour of it. Um, then when you go watch actual physicians in the hospital, you see they're taking hours of patient notes and they're at the computer for so long. So I feel like when I got to grad school, the veil kind of unfurled in front of my face of what my life was going to look like in the future. Um, and I decided that I didn't want to stay in grad school. So I ended up getting a job at a, a small nonprofit media company, um, and I worked there for two years. We had a partnership with um, a foundation in San Francisco, and I was the liaison, so I ended up going to live there. However, when the contract ended, I also lost my job, and I had this really tough decision to make. I had spent so much of my life trying to get away from home. You know, for the first 18 years of life, it's like you got to get to college and you got to go as far away from possible and be independent and, you know, become a a person of value to society. And so at that point, I was kind of back against the wall and I didn't want to go home. And so um, I always say that I was homeless partially by choice and partially by circumstance sure. um, because it's true, you know, and I just decided that I had more kind of self-discovery and like life to live based on the fact that I spent so much time in school and yeah. I felt like I had been captured inside of a bubble. So I spent three months homeless um, in San Francisco and the interesting thing about San Francisco is that there's a large homeless population. Yeah. So I had plenty of access to resources. I could go eat three meals a day. I could go get clothes. There were shelters that I could sign up for early in the day and sleep there if I wanted to. Um, and so I didn't necessarily feel like I was missing out on my necessities. Sure. Sure. And I think that that um that made my judgment a little cloudier because part of the fight or flight re response that we have, you know, when you're trying to survive. It's like, can you get the necessities? And if you can, right. then there's, you kind of get back to that comfort. So I ended up staying out there for that long because um, I just wasn't ready to go home. And also I wasn't starving and I wasn't, you know, I was finding a place to sleep. And I was also kind of free from bills and free from the the pressures and all the, all the identity characteristics that I had adopted for so long from other people. So like, you're the good student, you're the good worker, you're the, this person, all those labels, <laughs> all those labels. Exactly. So for me, I felt free of those labels. However, when you zoom out, it looked, you know, I was in a, I was in the crucible. I was in a very terrifying situation. Yeah. Um, but inside I felt a bit free at the same time. So it's hard. It was very hard, hard and difficult for me to explain that to people initially, um, when I got back home because they just knew that I was homeless for three months and that comes with its own stereotypes and kind of visual interpretation already. 
I get that. I totally get that. So, I mean, for your situation is a little bit more unique where you kind of, it was a positive for you. It was a plus to be in that situation to really kind of like get more in touch with yourself because you had all those resources. I think in other parts of the country, it would be very difficult to live that kind of life, you know, be homeless, still have all the necessities to, to live and survive. Um, and, and kind of be in that place of self-discovery. I think that is a very unique position for you. Not a lot of other homeless people probably aren't in the same place as you were. Absolutely. I mean, I'm from Columbus, Ohio, and it's like, it's freezing here, you yeah. know, and like, I can't imagine being homeless out here right now. And in San Francisco, it's like, there's the beach and there's all these parks and you can get on the train and you can do it. Like I was literally like an explorer for like Lewis and Clark out there sometimes because like I could do all kinds of stuff during the day and meet new people. And like, it's almost like this, this very weird ecosystem where you start to think that these people are your friends, you know, yeah. because you're spending the whole day with them and you're going to eat with them and you guys are walking around all day. And it's similar to like having a coworker or a peer that you do the same thing with. Um, but you're not really cognizant. I wasn't really cognizant of the, the reality of the situation at all times. Sure. Right. Because I kind of, you know, I kind of just immerse myself in it. So I think that if you were, if I was homeless in another city like Columbus, um, I would have probably had to find a way home or out of the situation faster hmm. for sure. So when people think of homelessness or when I, for me, uh, you know, my experience, especially here in the Chicagoland area, you know, we see homeless people on the street and they are either, you know, drug addicts, you know, alcoholics, or just kind of not all there, maybe like um, mentally ill. And I know my, my fiance is a police officer and he deals with them a lot. And so when you were homeless in San Francisco, did you experience a lot of that kind of element with your fellow homeless people or was it a little bit more um, nomad people like yourself? Yeah, it was a it was definitely a mix of both. I think I met people who were teachers, lawyers, doctors. I was going to the University of Michigan, um, which was the number one PhD program for my field. And I came from Davidson College, which is a top liberal arts school. And so kind of like my identity was crutched on the fact that like I had those accolades or those like I had those labels, you know, to lean on for a, a long uh, for most of my life. And that's kind of like how you network and you shoulder rub and you get in there and people can respect those things already. But when you're at the homeless shelter, it doesn't matter if you were an investment banker and you had, you know, made some company $200 million, like nobody cares. You know, nobody cared what school I went to. Nobody cared about my thesis and from college. So there was a, a humanity that I, I realized um, that I was missing in my life. And it was very humbling for me. So I wanted to carry that lesson into my life once I got back to normal. And it's really the cliche of don't judge a book by its cover. But I realized that nobody would have been able to expect my backstory if they made assumptions about me. Sure. Right. So if I would, when I was out there, if you looked at me, you would have never assumed I just did those things. So for me, I, I just took that thought and applied it to how I looked at everyone else. So I don't know who these people are. Yeah. You know, I don't know which person was, like you said, the the drug addict or the which person was the professor. And yeah. so now I try to, I've adopted that into my life again. And so it makes me approach people and situations differently because I assume everyone has something valuable to offer. I assume everyone has a story. I assume I don't know what's going on in their life. And that makes me able to be more present and accept kind of the, just accept the ethos of whatever moment I'm in. Yeah. And it also allows you to be more compassionate towards others. Absolutely. You know? So you had two bouts. So you, this is, you're talking about your initial one. What made you have your second one? So that was my second one, which was oh, the right. more substantial one. Yeah. So the oh. California, the one in California was more substantial. Um, a few years prior to that, I had 
um, moved to Florida and I wasn't, I just wasn't sold on the future I saw for myself. Sure. Um, and I, I happened to be staying with um, a friend who became my girlfriend at the time. And, you know, I'm not working. I'm trying to figure my life out. She's paying bills and there's a stress there that's there. And I'm also relentless at this time about just figuring it out because yeah. I've kind of, I'm, I've always been like that. I've had, I have an obsessive personality in terms of like understanding me, right. getting to the bottom of me, understanding my feelings, understanding how to move myself forward. Um, and so we didn't have the same mentality and I ended up living in my car for a few weeks until my car broke down. I sold my car. I had about a thousand dollars. I spent that at the best Western and rented a room for like yeah. as many days as I could. And then after that, it was just like, I'm out there. I'm just, I was just out in the streets. So I'm sleeping outside of Walmart sleeping at the Salvation Army, um, less resources in Florida than California by a, a lot. You know, I spent a lot of time walking. Um, it was to the point where when I came home, like my big toe was black from like, I had pushed my big toe against the, sh the shoes that were too small that someone gave me at the shelter. And my toe, like nail was almost going to fall off. I had walked that much. I still like, didn't want to go home at that time. That was the, you know, so that care that kind of sentiment carried into my second experience. And there, there was just this, like, there's a, a true reluctance to succumbing to the feeling of fail, failing, right? So succumbing to the idea that you didn't live up to the expectations that you set for yourself or having to go back and look at those people in the face who've looked at you one way for their entire life. Mm -hmm. And now you have to face them. And, you know, at the time, at those, both those times, I was not reachable. You know, I, I didn't want to have a phone. So when I was in California, I threw my phone in the ocean, you know, very early into that experience. Wow. Really. <laughs> I could you know, never do that. <laughs> Good for you I, though. <laughs> I had to because I mean, but you you have to imagine for me, the only messages I were getting were yeah, fear, worry, come sure. home. Right. So like I couldn't I couldn't process that along with what I needed to be, what I was going through internally as well. Um, and I think that distance was very vital. And it's it's very challenging to say, you know, because I would never tell anyone like that's the way to do it. Like right. go be homeless is not it. But I think that creating this space sometimes to allow you just to figure yourself out and really like think about how you think about stuff without having to worry about how someone looks at you for a, a thought you have or a decision you make. Put the I labels think, on you. <laughs> put, love it. Putting the labels on you. I think that like that, there's a freedom that comes for that from that, that they don't teach you in school. You know, yeah. no one tells you about what that freedom feels like. You know, I think we we get programmed from this the moment that we step into school. You know, to be a certain way, you need to you need to live this way. Get married, have two and a half kids, have the house, the white picket fence. You know, and that's what made me start the label free show is because I feel like we have labels put on us at such a young age that it really prevents people from stepping into their true purpose or finding what they're really passionate about. You had like an epiphany, so to speak, where you were just like on this journey to really find out who you really are, what you really want in life. I mean, I think I don't think a lot of people could do what you do because it's, it's pretty scary, especially if you're at that level of PhD. Like that's just a lot of people work so hard to get there and you got there and you're just like, oh, this isn't for me. I don't like what I see for myself. You know, I, I think there's something more for me. I, I have a question. When you Did you ever experience anything dangerous when you were in this nomad state? Yeah, yeah, multiple times. I mean, I... um. I definitely had nights where I said that I was going to die in San Francisco. Oh, no. Share, like, share one of those with us. One of the things that's interesting is that I lived there for a year and a half before I was homeless. And I knew which streets not to walk down. You know, I knew which areas not to go to. But after a while, you get comfortable walking down those streets. 
sure. right? So now you want to know what's out there and you're not, there's, there's the fear, the ba- fear barrier went away. So I found myself walking places that I wouldn't ordinarily have walked. And there was one night where I was walking by the, by the beach and all the piers and it's probably two in the morning and I'm by myself. And ironically enough, I'm like picking up cigarette butts because they're used to, you know, not for me. Like I, I used to, I used to try to trade them for stuff. Oh, okay. okay. So I would pick up, not, not the butts, but like they were called like shorts. So like yeah. people didn't finish their cigarettes and I'd pick up and put, put them in a bag. And then you could trade those for like more food or like a hoodie or something if okay. you took them back the next day. Sure. But that particular night I'm doing that and I walk around the corner and a guy grabs me by my chest just out of nowhere. It's super dark, pitch black. I made a turn into an area that was an apartment complex. I didn't know. I thought it was a street. It was a dead end. So he grabs me and puts me up against the fence. And all he's saying to me is, I better not have sold my soul for nothing. I better not have sold my soul for nothing. And he repeats that. No, 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 no. So he repeated that to me three times and I hear a clink on the ground and and I see something shiny and it was some sort of knife. Right. And so he drops it and I backpedal away. So he drops it and he's going, he's, he's walking towards it. I backpedal away. And luckily he doesn't come back and try to try to attack me again. But I literally watched my life flash before my eyes that night. And I I will never forget it. I have nightmares about it still. That's just one experience. I mean, I have other experiences where I, you know, I was intense where there's all kinds of substances and weapons. I can imagine. Those tents are little closed doors, you know? It's like a camping tent. There's four or five people in there. And it's not just like you can just go in there and not participate or not, you know, or just walk away when you see something you don't like. It's not that kind of environment because now you're now you're perceived as a threat to them. Yeah. You're perceived as someone who's gonna out them or you're not down, you know. And so I faced a I faced several of those situations where I was around dangerous things happening around me as well. Yeah. So did you ever participate in, you know, using when you're in that situation? Yeah, so I did um, actually, and I think that um, part of that had to do with the point in my life where I was numbing. Sure. And I was, um, I was fearless in the sense of like I, I was no longer afraid of dying, you know. And like it's, it's just like there was a, there was a depression. I mean, my, my identity was really fractured from that experience. And so I think that like when you get around that kind of environment, and you're seeing people do stuff that you've heard of and like never seen in real life. And then they're not dying and falling on the floor. They're acting normal. You know, yeah. they're like doing whatever they're doing. And you see like, they're still like regular, right? And so like some of that fear that you had before, but like, oh, I've always heard that if you do that, you lose your mind. Today's episode is brought to you by Honey Love. Ladies, let's talk about shapewear. We all know most shapewear makes you feel like you're being suffocated. That sexy dress in the back of your closet is so freaking cute, but the thought of having your inside squished by your shapewear is just not worth it. That's why Honey Love spent years researching and developing effective shapewear that's actually comfortable. Overly tight, cheap and sticky fabrics that roll up are a thing of the past. Thanks to Honey Love, you can finally feel confident and comfortable in your favorite outfits. We have an exclusive deal for our listeners for a limited time only. You can get Honey Love's best deal they offer. Get 20% off your entire order with the code LABELFREE20 at honeylove.com. That's right, ladies. Get 20% off of your entire order with LABELFREE20 at honeylove.com. I, you know, when I was going through my human trafficking days, I, I did a lot of drugs myself and I'm lucky to be here today, you know, cause I got very caught up in that lifestyle and it was a form of numbing, like you said, and it, it's, um, it, it, you look back and you're like, holy crap, 
that was pretty scary what I was doing, you know? And so when, when I hear your story and I think about my own, I think that, you know, we've just, there's a bigger plan for us. And that was just part of our journey to get to where we are today. So, you know, you, um, but obviously went through some very uh, dark, dark moments and experienced a lot of very intense things that I think a lot of people, you know, would never want to put themselves in that situation. What's interesting when you're talking about compassion, empathy, I heard you talking in another episode, I found out that there were these like resource centers where like you could go get clean needles and like clean all this stuff for people. Yeah. Like you could go get it and um, it was free and there's no like, you know, you don't get in trouble for getting it. No one's assuming like if you get caught with it. It's just it's just the supplies. And so I actually like would go get those supplies for people that I knew that were using Oh wow! because I wanted to make sure that they had the clean stuff, you know? And so for me, I felt like I did feel a bit of like redemption in the sense that like, I could be saving someone's life in despite by doing this. And like, it's weird because if you would have asked me five, six, seven years before that, I couldn't, I couldn't imagine myself doing that because I would have felt like an enabler in the moment, I didn't feel like an enabler. I felt like someone that was that was being beneficial. That was, it was like I felt health conscious in a sense. Yeah, yeah, for sure. So, how long were you for the two from the two bouts of homelessness? How long were you homeless for? Uh, five months total. Five months total. Oh, okay. So, yeah. what was the moment that you said, "Okay, I can't do this anymore"? It was actually the night after um, the fence incident. So oh. the night, the night after that, um, I went to the hospital as like a safe haven. That was like the place I would go. So I would go check myself in because the, they had, a uh, this healthcare insurance in California that I could go. And like, even if I didn't have my ID or anything, I could still take Medi-Cal or something. And I would, I was able to get treatment. And so like lots of times I thought I was going to have a heart attack, obviously, you know, but like that particular night I went there because I knew I could go check in and be like away from the situation. And it was at the hospital. I talked to a nurse and. She told me about a program that San Francisco had where if you have someone that will receive you in your town, in a town, like in your hometown, and you can call them and they'll say, yes, if you send him here, I'll pick him up at the station, then they would buy you a Greyhound ticket. And so that's how I eventually came home. Um, I got into that program where they bought me a Greyhound ticket, gave me $30. And they said, you know, as long as your mom or whoever answers the phone, then we'll put you on the bus. And they did, obviously. I had said that I was going to die there if I stayed there. Yeah. And then I, I, I faced that moment. Mm-hmm. And then I came out of it on a side that I probably didn't expect. And so it, I think that whole kind of like mixture of experiences made me know that I had more to do in life. Yeah. And so I just kind of decided that I was going to have to go back home and I was going to have to set my pride aside and I was going to have to let my ego die. And I was going to have to go back and face those people I didn't want to face. And I was going to have to have those tough conversations and tell my story to people who are going to be judgmental and, and we're going to look at me different. And that was just going to be what was going to have to happen. So what happened then when you got home? I mean, I'm sure your mother was ecstatic to, to see you. I mean, what was that like? What was that adjustment period like? I would be have best been described as like a very like a new uh, egg, <laughs> you know. Like okay. they, tr- my family treated me very fragilely, okay. you know. And I think that that was very helpful. I've stayed with my mom for a while until I found a new job, um, and I was able to use her car and like live there and not be worried about rent and things like that. And she wasn't necessarily pushing me to hurry up and like do those things because she had also been at the brink of you know a breakdown because her son was with no way of reaching me unless I email her. From, I used to email her from the mall computer. Oh, wow. You know, sometimes occasionally like asking her for this or telling her I'm okay, like once in a while. 
Yeah. But then, you know, she couldn't respond and like, she could respond, but I wasn't going to sit there and wait for it. So she might get a response in like seven days. Wow. You know? So when I got back home, I, um, I didn't talk about it. All of my friends I had lost, I'll, um, all of the, all of my, all the people in my life were gone, you know, because I had either pushed them away because during that time I was going through an emotional roller coaster, So I wasn't treating people the best all the time. Um, or we just like lost communication and naturally the kind of friendships and relationships faded away. So I didn't have that many people really to go back and face. Yeah. You know, so that made it even more stark when I realized that it's like that fear, the, the ginormous weight of that fear of coming home was really me just facing about four or five people. Yeah. Wow. Um, do you have any advice or anything that you would like to to say to anybody that might be in the situation that you're in being homeless or might be in the brink of being homeless that might have been that kind of might be experiencing the same kind of headspace that you were in at that point? Yeah, I would say don't don't kick yourself while you're down. You know, for for me, it was very important to strengthen my mental health during that time. So although my life was in chaos around me, I was focused on making sure that my mindset was okay. I didn't. I never forgot all the other things about myself. So even though I was in the streets, I still had twenty something years of life and achievements and things to lean on, you know, and remember about myself that obviously have to outweigh that three or five months of time in my life, you know. So I feel like most people, the tendency is to take that those those experiences and make them huge. Yeah. And then that's a regret that you're dragging along with you forever and you're never healing from it. So my advice, my advice would be to allow yourself to heal, even if you're in the storm. Yeah. You know, that's the most important. That's the part that you can control. You might not be able to control whether or not you get another job today or that interviewer calls you back, but you can control how you feel about yourself. Yeah. You can control how you think about yourself. You can control even like in that situation. I, I wasn't walking around with some chip on my shoulder. Yeah. I still I was. I can see that you're yeah. probably very humble. Yeah, I think a lot of the growth happens within when we are going through tough times. Uh, I want to um, go. I want to talk about your book a little bit before yeah. we have to start wrapping things up. So you have published a collection of poems. What? When did you start that book, and how did that? How did you get motivated or inspired to do that? Yes, yeah, so I started that book about a year after I came home, um, and so I've. I've always wanted to write a book. I've been writing poetry since I was four. Um, and I think that this, th these experiences just let me know that the book wasn't going to come out of nowhere. Exactly. I was going to have to put pen to paper and do it. And like knowing, knowing that I had faced death several times, I think was a constant reminder that like I had to just, I had to just put in the work. I had to just write it. And so I tried to take those experiences, um, and capture some of the elements from my time in the, sh in, in the streets to paint a picture of kind of the emotional turmoil I went through during that time. And so the kind of goal of this book is basically to provoke, provoke curiosity and get people to ask questions of themselves. You know, this book for me is a, was a healing tool. So I always say like, I didn't write the book for other people. I wrote the book for myself and I invite everyone to come share with me. Um, this was like, this was my cathartic moment, you know? And so when i finally got the book in my hand. It felt like ET had arrived on my doorstep. You know, I, I took this thing that was in my brain and I finally saw it in real life. And I think that there is such a powerful um, flow of energy that comes from getting stuff that's inside of you outside. Um, I would just say that that whole process is on you. 
you know, and no matter what the, what your life looks like on the outside, all of that happens internally. And I think that if you can keep that in your purview, then you'll be okay. You'll weather the storm. You'll get out of the situation and you'll, you'll make it to the other side. Um, and you won't have to live a life of regret. What's the name of the book? I made a place for you. Why did you name it that? Yeah. So funny enough, I found it difficult when I was ready to start talking about these experiences, you know, like I was going to brunch and dinner and stuff. And I'm like, I don't know if I can talk to people about like purgatory and what I thought about what happens when you die, you know, over cocktails and mimosas, you know, like finger (laughs) foods and mimosas and purgatory aren't necessarily, they don't necessarily go in the same sentence together, you know, or crying on your pillow. Like it's, 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 it was, it was one of those things where I didn't know what to do with it. Sure. I didn't know what to do with the feelings. So like the fact that I was able to transport those feelings into poems um, and I have illustrations in the poetry book as well, which help kind of add a visual element to make it so that the reader can really feel like my experience was colorful, you know, the nights were colorful. Life was, the life was colorful. So I wanted to add pictures so that the reader can feel that. Um, And so that's that's how we got the the name. You know, I made a place for those experiences and those topics and those questions that I needed answers to, and I didn't have another space to kind of carve out to do that. Yeah, amazing. Where can people find you, support you, and purchase your book? Sure. So my website is DamianWhiteWrites.com. Um, and on Instagram and TikTok, I'm at Damian K. White. You can also buy the book at Amazon and Barnes and Noble and basically any other online retailer. If you happen to be in Ohio for any reason, they sell, they sell it at, um, at, at many local bookstores. Excellent. This is the part of the show where I like to ask for last words of wisdom or advice. Even though you've left a lot of advice within your story that you shared today, what would you like to leave with the audience before we say goodbye? I would like to say work as hard for yourself as you work for your job. Mm, that's you know? powerful. Because I find that we'll give 40 hours to advancing someone else's company or goals, but we'll spend zero hours making sure that we're advancing our own, our our own goals. Right. So I think that if people can flip that switch to realize that the same amount of effort that goes into making that business run and able to pay you your paycheck, you have to kind of feed yourself that same level of effort, even on a part-time basis. Um, so that you can become the success that, you know, you, you expect from your work. Um, so that would be the advice that I have. Love it. Well, Damien, thank you so much for sharing your story. Thank you for being so brave to uh, overcome all of those things that you went through to go through that journey of self-discovery. I think it's a beautiful thing, cathartic in a lot of different ways. So we wish you much success as um, a poet, as an author, and wherever you end up in life. So thank you very much for being open with us today. Absolutely. Thank you again for having me. You're welcome. You guys, this is your host, Deanna Radulescu, Label Free, to live your best life, live label free. As always, don't forget to support us on social media. Um, We love to hear from you and any feedback that you have for our guests or for the show. Thank you as always, and you have a wonderful day.